This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here at Core Brain Journal one more time. And we have a very, very interesting guest that we've uh, invited on before, Dr. Michael D. Lewis, who was with us before in 171. Mike, thanks so much for coming back. Really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Chuck. Great to be with you again. So what we're going to be talking about, guests and uh, friends and, and people who are listeners, Dr. Lewis was with us before at Core Brain Journal dot com forward slash 171 and we talked about brain injury cbd and omega-3 fatty acids and when you hear his resume which we're going to abbreviate and when you hear what we're going to talk about today you will absolutely stay tuned for this whole thing because this is groundbreaking information my friends so dr lewis is going to tell us a great deal about some testing which is absolutely relevant for really thousands of people once we get up and cooking on it. So let me introduce him first, and then we're going to talk about a new test that they have to measure with a blood test, concussion and brain injury. And we'll hear more about it in just a second. So Dr. Michael D. Lewis is an expert on nutritional and holistic interventions for brain health, particularly the use of omega-3 fatty acids for the prevention, management, and rehabilitation of concussions and traumatic brain injury. That's what you want to listen to on 171. He founded the Brain Health Education and Research Institute, and that was in late 2011, upon retiring as a colonel after a distinguished 31-year career in the U.S. Army. His pioneering work in the military and since has helped thousands of people around the world and is regularly featured in the media, including CNN's Sanjay Gupta, on that show and numerous radio shows and podcasts. He's a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point and Tulane University School of Medicine and is board certified and a fellow of the American College of Preventive Medicine and Nutrition. He completed a postgraduate training at Walter Reed uh, Medical Center at Johns Hopkins University and Walter Reed Army Institute of Research. He is currently in private practice in Potomac, Maryland, at the Brain Care Center, www.braincare.com, pardon me, braincare.center, I guess, .com. We'll talk about that. He's a consultant in the U.S. Army and Navy, as well as several organizations, institutes, and nutritional companies around the world, and is a founding member, this is really cool, of the Pop Warner Youth Football Medical Advisory Board. Yes. So, Mike, this is so interesting. Let me get that site. Uh, say, is it braincare.center.com or how does that go? No, it's braincare.center. It's not .com, but okay. Com. See, I'm not that. I'm not, you're more geeky than I am, buddy. You're right. <laughs> well, you're somebody else already had braincare.com. So. That's right. You're way ahead of me. This is good. All right. So, look, let's start talking about this. First of all, take a couple minutes to just reintroduce the really cool conversation that we had before, just a couple sentences on what we talk about, about omega-3 and CBD and all that with brain injury and how that led you to this current material that you're into. And then we'll talk more about that in the second item in just a moment. Well, yeah, the real short of the story, I guess, if we can make it that, is when I was on active duty at Walter Reed and Bethesda, you're around 
wounded warriors and some of them have visible injuries and many of them don't. Many of them have invisible injuries, brain injuries. And so you start to think, what can I do to help with this situation? And I put two and two and two together, came up with an odd number and went and asked, is anybody looking at omega-3s to help with the recovery from traumatic brain injury? The answer was, no, why don't you? And that was a career change for me, basically, because I started to look at nutritional ways to help people optimize the foundation to allow the brain to heal if it's going to heal. Sometimes the injury is too much or um, other circumstances, but you need that nutritional foundation to be in place. The brain's made of omega-3 fats, and I just had the idea, why don't we saturate the brain with what it took to make a brain in the first place? And it has the nice side effects of often in the doses that I talk about, of decreasing or even eliminating a lot of the symptoms that we see in concussions and brain injury, often within one or two days. And so at least start somebody on the way to um, improving their life function. Uh, They're optimizing their ability to to get back into society. And then I hit upon um, CBD about two years ago, as it turns out that CBD has been, there's a Nobel laureate who authored a patent while he was at the NIH uh, looking at cannabinoids as antioxidants and neuroprotectants. And so what I've found over the last two years or so dealing with head injury patients is the combination of those two has just been, um, as many patients say, fish oil is really great, but CBD oil has been life-changing. So Mm. a combination of those two has been really... um, fantastic as a clinician to be able to have those tools in the toolkit and certainly for patients that have experienced that kind of relief from the symptoms following uh, a head injury. Totally interesting. And what rolled my socks up and down when we talked before, Mike, was the dose of omega-3 fatty acids. And and as I recall, you were talking about nine grams a day. You were doing uh, three grams three times a day, if I recall correctly. That is correct. And Depending on how long, if it was a recent injury, you know, something a week this past weekend or whatever, somebody's reaching out to me, I'll do that typically for a week before I get people down to a a sort of a normal dose, what I would consider three grams a day is what the FDA recognizes, generally recognized as safe. Somebody that's been struggling for months or even years or even decades with the problems of a head injury, I'll have them on that higher dose for usually about a month because I really want to make sure that the brain is saturated before I get down to sort of the maintenance dose, which the maintenance dose also is great before an injury with the concept that it would help the brain be more resilient to withstand injury in the first place. So that's fantastic. That is great information. So Thanks for summarizing that. Folks, go back to 171. We talk about it in great detail. Mike, let's get into this really interesting next set of information regarding chronic traumatic encephalopathy, the injuries that people don't see, and what's really the innovative, interesting thing. And Dr. Lewis has a lot of uh, peer-reviewed references on this. and They're going to be in the show notes. So it sounds so edgy. It's almost like you can't believe it. So they now have, tell us about this, a blood test for brain injury. Tell us about that. I'm not involved in that research, but I've been aware of it. It's been at least 10, probably closer to at least 15 years that Banyan biomarkers in Florida 
has been working on this blood test with a lot of funding from the Department of Defense. And they have continued to refine and refine and refine the tests over the years as as any company would. So they've just recently gotten FDA approval for this test in the very short acute phase of a head injury. Like I think the requirements are within 24 hours. I, I might be a little longer than that, but I think it's, um, I don't have the material up in front of me right now. So it's really designed to be done in the emergency room type of setting where there's a question, did this person suffer a head injury or did they not? And having a blood test that can help us distinguish that has a, a number of different implications. One is, yes, somebody's had a head injury or, or not, but another thing is that may be less appreciated is pretty much most physicians, most emergency rooms, when they're concerned about a head injury, they often put uh, send a patient off for a CAT scan and to look to see if there's a bleed inside the head, which may require operative measures to relieve that pressure. And the dose of radiation that you get from a CAT scan is something like 100 times greater than what you get from a a chest x-ray. So especially in kids, we want to decrease as much as possible any exposure to such radiation. And so this blood test has tremendous value in decreasing the need for these CAT scans when it's used properly. Very interesting. So the the quick thing which you alluded to as you were introducing it is that whole time from injury, and that's going to be interesting. But then you have an idea, at least an idea of is there brain injury, and and you can begin to do something more aggressively about it with just a blood. And I, I would imagine the cost is is pretty good. So let's talk a little bit about. I mean, compared to this, to, and it's safer compared to the, the actual scan. So the, the thing, the question in my mind is, what are they measuring? I'm sure a lot of people are wondering about that. What could they possibly measure in blood that would be referential to brain injury? Well, what, the, what they're measuring are certain proteins in the blood that, for the most part, either aren't usually circulating in the blood or circulating at at very small amounts with just sort of normal turnover. And so what they're looking for is a significant amount. I'm sure what they've done is they've gone through and they've determined sort of thresholds when looking at thousands of patients and comparing the head injury patients to people who have not had a head injury. And there are certain proteins that are found in the blood after a head injury that aren't normally found, at least not in the levels if somebody has not had a head injury. And so that gives us a very binary result of yes, it's there and no, it's not. And so Mm -hmm. it makes for a nice way to tell. But when you have a head injury, certain events occur in the biochemical cascades that occur after a head injury and with a head injury. And so the lifespan of some of these proteins is relatively short. And that's one of the main reasons why this test is really only valid in a very short period of time after a head injury, not days or weeks or months or years later. Well, that's very interesting now because I was looking in the literature, you know, real privilege of interviewing some great guys and men and women on this program. And one of the individuals uh, was a guy, Dr. Andy Farah, who wrote a book on Hemingway's brain. 
I don't know if you're familiar with that book, but he talks about CTE. Go ahead. You were going to say something? No, no, go ahead. You would love it. I'm telling you, you would absolutely love it because he's done a whole study of CTE, Hemingway, all the injuries he's had. He's got them all broken down. And he's also got the reason out of it. It's not an absolute reason, but it's pretty darn close of why Hemingway killed himself back in Idaho is because he had more than 20 electroshocks at Mayo Clinic for his depression on top of having not identified CTE and his brain went right out the window. There's, I've seen books on other important figures in history such as Henry VIII, who is known to have suffered some pretty significant head injuries from jousting. Mm. And what I've read is that his entire well-being just dramatically changed after one particular incident where he went from being this slim, fit, charismatic character after the injury became the obese, lethargic, somewhat crazy uh, character that we basically have come to know as Henry VIII with all the wives and those situations. Mary Todd Lincoln, uh, President Lincoln's wife, suffered a pretty significant head injury on a carriage ride back from the Lincoln Cottage in northern part of Washington, D.C., back to the White House and fell out of the carriage and hit her head. And they say that completely changed her personality as well. So there's lots of interesting characters in history, such as Hemingway. Yeah, you would love listening to the interview. I can't remember what his number was, but it's Farah, F-A-R-A-H. Uh, if you go up, put him on the search engine over on, on Core Brain Journal. So the question then comes up is this whole chronic versus acute situation, because some of the material you have there is looking at CTE, and CTE, of course, would be chronic. And so the issue then is, is there some persuasive evidence that even chronic traumatic encephalopathy could be measured with this blood test, or what's your thought about that? What's your preliminary on it? No, not at all. Now, one of the things interesting is their um, Banyan biomarkers looks like they're teaming up with, if I say this correctly, Quanterix. I think they're out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. And Quanterix has some interesting technology looking at different biomarkers that probably have a little bit more utility in the longer term for things like CTE. There's other tests out there. All of these are, except for the new Banyan uh, one that's been FDA approved, all these are, are experimental. So in CTE, we see elevated deposition of amyloid beta and tau proteins in the brain. And so much like you'd see in Alzheimer's, except typically in different locations of the brain. And the Quanterix technology, as I understand it, can measure really minute levels of these proteins that circulate in the blood. And so uh, there may be some utility in that. Probably more promising is some of these PET scans, ligands that have been developed out of, I know it's been tested at UCLA, but I'm not sure it was developed there, but there's where basically you inject a basically a radioactive isotope that will bind to the amyloid beta in the brain and yep. allow you to image it. And I think that that has a lot more promise as far as uh, being able to detect CTE in living people, whereas currently the only real accepted way to tell CTE is on autopsy. 
That is so interesting, you know, because it, it was amazing to me when I, because I've done a lot of single photon emission computed tomography with Eamon out in California. And so that whole ligand thing and even tagging neurotransmitters, taking a picture of them on PET and seeing what's going on with the neurotransmitter uh, picture. But that is totally interesting and because the idea that you can actually put something that would actually seize on one of those proteins and it would light up in a certain way and a certain that is totally interesting, isn't it? Oh, it's fascinating. I lean much more towards, so what? What are you going to do about it? And yeah, me too. I'm totally with you on that. That was my, that's my next question. And so while this is all great technology, I mean, I, you know, one of the things I approached the researchers right after that first study came out of uh, UCLA and said, and it was in some football players. And I, it was only like six, six guys. And like what I would, you know, what I tried to pitch was let's take these six guys. You, you've got a great study, a great baseline. Let's do three months of high dose fish oil and do the scan over again and see what happens and couldn't get them to buy into it. It was mostly a, a financial issue because who's going to pay for that study, but certainly not big pharmaceutical companies. They don't have a uh, fish oil. So yeah, right. No, there's no investment there. Yeah. There's no investment there. So um I would have loved to have done that study. I still would love to do that study if anybody's got a couple hundred thousand dollars they want to put towards that. And, uh, that would be totally interesting. I would think the DOD would get behind that. Well, unfortunately, I had already retired and left DOD, and so you lose a lot of that cachet that you have either uh, being on active duty or you know being a professor at uh, Stanford University or UCLA or wherever. Yeah, yeah. And um, I opted a different approach. To, I been in the Army for 31 entire adult life, I I decided to get out of the big machine and, uh, and not jump to another big machine, but decided to have a go at it on my own. Uh, I'm going to drop a name when we get off. I don't want to put anybody on the spot on the recording here, but I've got a name that you might be interested in from somebody else that I interviewed that might be able to hook you up with something like that. And he's already got some DOD money and he's doing some very specific things in the same field that you're doing, but not directly related to brain. So I'll, I'll talk to you about him when we get off, because I think it'd be really interesting if you guys are really singing a lot of the same music from the same hymnal, just approaching it slightly differently. And he, he is a little bit on the inside more than you are at this moment, apparently, from what you said. So I'll share that with you when we get done. So let's go back to what you've done and what you've experienced. Now that we're into what do you do about it, let's talk about that a little bit more because this will take us back to, and I'd like to kind of, in a way, elaborate on what we talked a little bit before about. So CTE, guys like Hemingway, people like Mary Todd Lincoln, any one of these people like Henry VIII, they would have done better. Now, of course, this is speculation. I know you're not affirming that it's absolutely true, but they would have very likely done better with some omega-3 fatty acids and a heavy dosing to actually turn them back around when, whenever it happened, a long time ago. Or even now. I mean, <laughs> certainly yeah. you're not having a shortage of uh, CTE issues uh, in today's society. In fact, you could argue that those Historic examples were the exception. Unfortunately, that's becoming more and more the norm these days with the, the levels of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and CTE. 
certainly on the rise. And of course, CTE is um, just now recently being recognized. Everybody wants to point at the NFL, but it's not just the NFL, obviously. So it's much, probably much more widespread. Let me just say that in my opinion, and this is, I wish there was a way to prove it and there's no way you can disprove it. But my, uh, my opinion is when you're talking about the link between a head injury and CTE 20, 30 years down the line, sometimes less, sometimes, you know, certainly it happens in younger people and that's always a tragedy as well. But the link between there that nobody really seems to be talking about is chronic inflammation. And chronic inflammation is, in my opinion, driven by nutritional status down to the biochemical levels. It can, it's, and I would add in actually hormone status as well. So my opinion, you, you, you can't disprove it because it's just way too difficult to do that, mm-hmm. is that if you don't shut off the chronic inflammation that it starts with a head injury, that's where you're going to lead to. You're going to lead to these chronic neurodegenerative diseases, mm-hmm. and it's an inflammation problem, and that's what needs to be addressed. I love the fact that you said that, and it leads to another question. And that is, I'm not strong on this, but I know a little bit about that, and that's phosphatidylcholine from lecithin, which is a different fatty acid. So what's your opinion about that? Do you mix it with omega-3s? What's your thought about phosphatidylcholine? Or have you had any experience? You may not have had any experience with it. There are so many things that are possible and potential. Clearly, the concept of using omega-3s and the doses uh, that I think are optimal to right-size the equation of inflammation, it's not mainstream medicine, even as much as I would love it to be. And I think and believe that it should be, we haven't gotten to where it's mainstream medicine. So you could go down any number of rabbit holes very quickly with this substance or that substance. And I could see her and name off 50 different things that might help, phosphatidylcholine being one of them. Where do you go when we can't even get one right? How are we going to get the other 49 or 50 right as well? And so it just would take, and you're talking about nutritional stuff. So Mm -hmm. there's not the funding out there to really evaluate that. And we we try to, as a scientific society, we try to isolate these things and find that silver magic bullet. And that's just not reality when you're talking about nutrition. Yeah. Well, it's such a complexity. I mean, the problem is it's a complexity. And what you're saying very clearly, I mean, I mean, if we could go in there and see one of the things I think is provocative about being able to measure proteins the question then is, could something actually improve? Could you measure improvement in some specific way that would show the positive outcome on a biological level of adding one of these supplements and doing the dosing correct and all that sort of thing? Right. But one of the issues that we have with all traumatic brain injury, including concussions, because concussion is a traumatic brain injury, is that I say concussions are like snowflakes. Uh, Everyone is different. And so when you have something that is so widely varied and across all ages and gender and race and everything else, when you talk about doing real thorough research, 
you're talking about astronomical numbers to be able to separate out and have some of that background noise be reduced. And that's just not feasible. Understand that because that is the problem with the whole nutritional thing in the first place. It's one of the reasons it continues to be controversial and people, they, you just don't have the data as firm as you would like to have it. And so you have a guy like yourself who's out there on the front end, really taking care of people. You've seen some things happen. You've looked at the doses. You've seen some differences in terms of how people respond. And that's great. But you're being humble about it. You're like, hey, guys, let's get the data together. It'd be great if we could. So people say, contact Dr. Lewis if you got $100,000 because he's got a plan. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of things we could be doing. And I really, when I was on active duty, I, I really tried to get DOD to look at developing an entire program on this concept because I think that they had the need. They just didn't have the know-how to put together. And frankly, when you start talking about nutrition with scientists and particular uh, physician scientists, they're like, no, I mean, they don't believe it. And um, one quick story of uh, a pediatric a surgeon in Boston who was working on some some stuff that he found that using a particular kind of omega-3 basically took this infant mortality from 100% or close to 100% to 0%. And one of the things he used to tell me was, he goes, my results are so unbelievable, nobody believes them. <laughs> right. What was the application there? If you don't mind sharing it, what was he doing? Well, in premature infants, sometimes when they're born too early, their gut hasn't matured enough to be able to absorb nutrients with feeding. And so you have to give them IV nutrition until their gut matures. But unfortunately, IV nutrition is basically based on soybean oil, very heavy in omega-6s, and it destroys the liver. So it becomes a race, which is going to kill the kid first, the nutrition intervention or the lack of ability to absorb nutrients through the gut. Well, and apropos of that, 6 is inflammatory anyway. So and you know that. Right. You're, 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 and, and it inflames the liver, and, and that's why basically these kids, if they die, they die of liver failure. So how does he get omega-3 in them? You can't inject that. What does he do? Well, he actually does inject it with a an investigational new drug that he essentially borrows from Europe. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. Well, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate you taking the time. You know, it's been one of the, this is a very, very interesting thing. So are these testing available through you or how? what's the hookup on, on how people can evolve their own practice with this investigation? Just received FDA approval. I don't deal with acute concussions, and that really is meant for more of the emergency room type of setting. Yeah. The patients that find me that have been suffering usually for months or years after a concussion, they've been used and abused by the, the our medical system and still are not finding the answers that they want. And those are the people that eventually find me because I take a very functional medicine or holistic way approach to the concept. And I, I really focus on the nutritional foundation and both how you eat, but also how do we supplement very targeted nutritional therapies. And also I think it's really important to look at the hormonal situation because the pituitary gland 
gets compromised with head injury most commonly, very commonly. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the downstream effect of that are your hormones, your, everything from your testosterone and growth hormone, which are most commonly affected to in both males and females, to your potentially your thyroid gland. And if it's bad enough, even, even your um, production of insulin from your pancreas can be affected. See, that's very interesting because I'm really glad that you bring the pituitary. This is a little bit of a side conversation, but I think it's absolutely relevant because one of the things I see with chronic inflammatory conditions is, of course, the immune system dysregulation. And so I'm really big on measuring IgG, immunoglobulin G, which is considered to be not de rigueur. I've had people in in this town think of me as uh, being very odd. But I'm hanging with the chairman of the Department of Pediatric Gastroenterology at Harvard on IgG as it relates to brain function. And IgG affects testosterone, growth hormone, all these insulin, you know, that winds up being immune system dysregulation. Have you been doing IgG with the work that you're doing as well? I have not. But, you know, you bring up the immune system. Well, I actually bring up a couple of great points. One is the gut-brain connection. And there's great research recently that comes out that shows that basically brain injury affects gut function and gut injury affects brain function. So that's a whole nother subject for discussion. And oh, geez, I just had a second one that I was going to... Oh, so the other one about the immune system, the more and more we find, look into it and and research is just starting to sort of pick up on this, is how much the cannabinoid, our endogenous cannabinoid system, controls or influences our immune system. And Mm. nature gives us this great way to interact with that endocannabinoid system through the cannabis plant, very particularly CBD or cannabidiol, not THC. We're not talking about getting high. We're talking about the medicinal part of the cannabis plant. And when it's derived from hemp, it's it's over the counter. It's nutritional supplement. And so hemp derived CBD has been, you know, a big plus, not just for brain injury, but I'm also finding it, and others are finding that the athletic performance and muscle recovery, immune system can really be balanced and affected in a very beneficial way when you uh, talk about using CBD from hemp. Well, that is terribly interesting. So now I got two questions for you because we're going down another, another path. Number one is how do you actually do that when you're doing, and I don't know if you have a book or a paper or whatever, because I don't want to put you on the spot with all this stuff, but you know, if you're doing the omega-3 fatty acids and, and let's say you're doing nine grams initially, when do you introduce CBD? Number one, then what are the doses that you use and how do you actually uh, procure it? You have to write a prescription for it. I mean, I'm not using CBD in my practice, but I'd have a lot of individuals that have brain problems with immune system dysregulation. And you're telling me this, I'm learning from you and I appreciate it because it's making me think about other applications as well. That's, That's why I'm asking you to start over there with the CTE and how you do that and how that might transfer over to immune system dysregulation. Well, again, you know, when you have a brain injury, it's affecting the gut. And so the population of the gut, as far as your, your biome, your gut biome, is mm-hmm. dramatically affected by brain injury and vice versa. You eat like crap, you're going to change your gut biome in not a good way, and that's going to affect your brain function. 
So mm -hmm. it's vitally important for somebody with a head injury to clean up their diet and decrease, you know, get rid of the simple sugars and just eat a Mediterranean uh, type of diet, if you will, but certainly a much cleaner diet. And that's sometimes we want to implement whether it's hyperbaric oxygen or neurofeedback or near-infrared light therapy, all these things can work. Neurostimulation and you know, neurofeedback, all these things can work and work really well. But you're swimming a little upstream if you're not getting that nutritional foundation in place first. And so you got to take care of the gut first, but not, not so much first, but you got to take care of the gut at the same time that you're addressing things. Right, so right. omega-3s, one of the ways they act on our body is actually through the cannabinoid system, as we're finding out. Is that right? So there's a variety of different ways that it, it does interact with our body, but one of them is with the cannabinoid system. But hemp gives us that direct beeline right for the uh, cannabinoid system and depends on the preparation of CBD. If you take more raw CBD that's not been activated and decarboxylated, it's going to interact much more with the body's immune system and has been found to be tremendous for athletic recovery. Whereas you take a decarboxylated, you know, processed CBD product and the more processed it is, the more it's going to cross the blood brain barrier and works great for anxiety. So I'm actually finding, I used to use just the, the process, but I'm finding that <laughs> I'm actually starting to use both at the same time, and I instead of waiting a month to get it started to see how the fish oil is doing, I've actually just found that why wait? We're, I'm just starting my patients on it as quickly as possible on both of them, or all three of them, the, the raw CBD, the processed CBD, and refined CBD, and fish oil. I just right out of the gate start them on that, and almost always start people on good quality probiotic and digestive enzymes because yeah, yeah. that's so important. Well, hesitating to ask this question just because I don't want to look like a commercial thing, but on the other hand, I'd love to know, and I think listeners would like to know, what's your resource on CBD? Do you have a particular company you prefer to work with? Because there are people who are like, hey, can I get into this? Is there a way I could, a way I could move forward with this plan? Well, absolutely. And you mentioned about writing a prescription. So like, you know, when I'm talking about hemp derived CBD, I'm talking about a nutritional supplement that you walk into your local organic market and buy off the shelf, not with a prescription, not with a recommendation, not at a, now you certainly, you know, you can go into a dispensary in a state that has medical marijuana or, or even recreational marijuana and get CBD dominant type of products and stuff like that. I'm not talking about dispensers. I'm talking about your holistic or new organic food store that carries these products. I got you. And that's the way they're differentiated, decarboxylated and carboxylated. Right. Or CBDA, CBD cannabidiol acid basically is in a raw form. And when it's heated, part of that heating cleaves off the carboxyl end of the CBDA and makes it active CBD. And that's what crosses the blood-brain barrier. So I find that I'm finding more and more that both are important to hit the body and the brain at the same time. And the body, you know, most of our immune system 
goes right back to gut health. That's where the biggest part of our immune system is really in the gut. Absolutely. So if you can improve that endocannabinoid ton of the gut, you're going to improve somebody's life. And so you ask what company, there's really, there's so many companies out there and there's so many products. And basically there's hundreds and hundreds of these brand new companies out there. And then there's two that have been around for quite a while, relatively speaking, and the industry leaders. And there's just two of them. And then their number three is like way down. I don't even know if what number three is. But of those two, I've aligned myself with one. Uh, it's called CB Sciences and their Plus CBD Oil line of products. And one of the things I like about the Plus CBD Oil products is they've taken the, the raw form and the most processed uh, refined form and they put it into a soft gel about the size of a vitamin D capsule. And so that makes dosing really easy, really convenient. You're not messing with oils and sprays and under your tongue for how long and then swallow or all these different ways of dealing with it. It's, it's a, a simple little gel cap and makes dosing really much easier. That is totally interesting. That's great. And you, you know, while you're saying this, you don't know this about me because we don't know each other that well, but you're not interviewing me. I'm interviewing you. But, but this, everything you're saying is stuff that I'm saying on the side. You know, the, the whole gut immune system dysregulation. My favorite question is how many times a day do you go number two? I mean, as a psychiatrist, I'm interested in that. And I ask every single person in the initial interview that question. And then I have a whole Mayo Clinic approved download that I give that you can measure a transit time from the mouth to the south with a very sophisticated corn test. <laughs> and I've got it all written out and it's peer-reviewed evidence from the Mayo Clinic and it's in PubMed. Only I use corn, they use some other sophisticated product. I'm like, why not do it for 69 cents if you can do it for 69 cents? You eat the corn, you look at your watch and see how long it takes to pass. Yeah. The Mayo Clinic says it should be 12 to 24 hours. A lot of these people with brain injury have a complete messed up situation where it can pass like in six hours or I had a guy, it passed in 10 days. Yes. He had a bowel movement every day, but the corn took 10 days to pass through. That's how bad his, his whole situation with his gut and his liver was. And that's an easy one to do. And it's kind of fun. I thought you'd get a kick out of it. <laughs> we, we get a lot of laughs out of it, but we get a lot of mileage out of it too. Oh, I'm sure. But you know, sometimes, um, the simple things are really powerful. And mm -hmm. I once had a leading neurologist tell me in the Army that I was never going to get support for the work that I was doing because I had a five-cent solution and the Army was still spending tens or hundreds of millions of dollars trying to figure out what the problem was. <laughs> yeah, right. Isn't that true? It's, it's, a funny, it's a funny paradoxical situation because it just doesn't sound like it should be that simple. But it's not that simple, but the markers are simple. I mean, the issue is if the markers are increasingly simple, then the answers start to come into focus. You start to think about, hey, maybe we can do this after all. Maybe this will be helpful. Well, the other thing is there's the tendency that we can find a magic pill that's going to cure everything, and therefore we don't have to be responsible for our own health. 
And so what I've started to do with every patient that comes in and I tell them, you are responsible for your health. If I give you a prescription for an antibiotic because you have an infection, you still have to go to the pharmacy to submit it. You still have to wait for it to be given back to you. You have to take it home. You have to take it and you have to complete it. Any one of those steps along the way, you could decide you don't want to do it. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what we're talking about. You are responsible for your own health care, even to that extreme. That is the biggest quandary in my office every day. Is that person going to follow through or not? It helps that I pitch it in a certain way. And then we got to figure out how to do the follow through because a lot of people do need their hands held because they lose the focus on the whole thing. Well, I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I had to tell you 80, 90% or more, probably 80 or 90% of what I do is psychiatry. Yeah. I didn't sign up for that, but that's what it's going <laughs> to be. Well, because of who you are as a person, it's going to be fun anyway. You got a great attitude. It's just been great talking to you again, Mike. I'm telling you, you, you're really offering a lot to the recovering community for the kind of things you're talking about. And I just appreciate the fact that you're objective, that you... You know, you're a little on the anecdotal side, but you're just like I am. Let's get the data together. That's really cool. I think what happens is we stay on the data side as much as we possibly can and yet look at opportunities and don't dismiss the opportunities because the data isn't completely there, then it's a totally reasonable way to proceed. And I want to thank you again for taking the time. Folks, remember before you go off, you can listen to Dr. Lewis again on 171. And then we're going to have all of his, uh, not all of his research, we're going to have some of the notes from the research that's there on this uh, concussion testing. And don't forget that you can go to his website, Mike, which is, if you'd tell us, please. Well, my nonprofit is brainhealtheducation.org, brainhealtheducation.org. My practice website is braincare dot center, not dot com, but dot center. Yeah, I got to get that right. And I, I would say if you really want to get into a little bit more detail, particularly on the omega-3 side of things, is go to whenbrainscollide.com and get a copy of my book. It's available on Amazon, When Brains Collide. And I, I say it's a book about hope. When patients are being told or parents are being told that there's only time will heal the brain, there's nothing we can do. I just didn't accept that, and I want to tell people that there is more you can do, and uh, and you don't have to accept that sentence that you there are things you can do, and I and I lay out that process with the omega threes and CBD in the book. Thank you so much for reminding us about that. I should have should have pulled that out of the notes. You did a really great job of giving me notes, but it was you know there's so much there, and I was like, what am I going to talk to this guy about? <laughs> So much interesting information there. Well, we found one or two things. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks again, Mike. Listen, we will have you back. You have another you have another thing that comes up? Just keep us posted. We love talking to you. I'm sure the, the listeners love talking to you. And, uh, you know, it's funny. You and I are having a conversation, but it feels like they're, they feel like they're right there with us, I'm sure. Well, hopefully we uh, reach one or two people out there and maybe even change their life. So yeah, that's, that's what we hope for. Thanks for listening to Cobrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive, misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications, like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. 
If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.